Welcome to the History Guy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to stories of lesser-known historical events told by Lance Geiger, also known as the History Guy on YouTube. I'm Josh, your host, a writer for the channel and eldest son of the History Guy. We tell all kinds of stories about history, from the modern era to the ancient past, so you never know what we're going to talk about next. One thing you can be sure of, it is history that deserves to be remembered. We at The History Guy are also excited to announce a new way to interact with the team and The History Guy himself at Locals.com. Join The History Guy Guild for your one-stop location to chat with other history fans, get updates on the team, and more. You can join for free or pay as little as $5 a month to get access to live chats with The History Guy, looks behind the scenes, early access to ad-free videos, and more. Find us at thehistoryguyguild.locals.com. We look forward to seeing you there. Today, the History Guy tells two stories of forgotten colonization. First, he tells the story of Popham, a British colony started shortly after Jamestown that disappeared into history. Then he tells the story of the Darien Scheme, a daring plan by Scotland to establish a colony in Panama. Without further ado, let me introduce the History Guy. The colony of Roanoke is probably the most famous failed colony in North America owing to its mysterious disappearance and the long history of wild, fanciful, speculative theories about what happened to it, but it was hardly the only European colony to fail in the Americas. In fact, there were several colonies that were seeking to become the first successful colony on the eastern seaboard that failed relatively quickly due to a myriad of challenges. One of those was formed very shortly after the much more famous colony at Jamestown. Its history literally lost for hundreds of years. The colony that was formed on the rocky, irregular coast of Maine that was called Popham Colony deserves to be remembered. On April 10th, 1606, King James I of England established by charter the Virginia Company of London and simultaneously the Plymouth Company. The actual 1606 charter did not mention the name of either company and only in a second charter were the two companies specified that they should divide themselves into two colonies, that one consisting of diverse knights, gentlemen, merchants, and others of our city of London, called the First Colony, and the other of sundry knights, gentlemen, and others of the cities of Bristol, Exeter, the town of Plymouth, and other places called the Second Colony. It was only later that these companies became known as the Virginia Company of London and the Virginia Company of Plymouth, respectfully. At the time, most of the eastern coastline of what would become the U.S. was called Virginia after the Virgin Queen Elizabeth I, from present-day Maine to the Carolinas. The goal of these companies was to establish trading settlements in North America that could enrich the mother country. Technically, all of the land that the two companies were given in the charters was already claimed by Spain, however Spain had no presence in the region. Officially, the London Company was allowed to establish a colony of 100 square miles between the latitudes of 31 degrees and 41 degrees north, approximately between Cape Fear and modern North Carolina and Long Island Sound. The Plymouth Company was allowed to establish settlements between 38 degrees and 45 degrees north, a region that encompassed the upper reaches of the Chesapeake Bay to about the modern U.S.-Canadian border. The section between 38 degrees and 41 degrees north was granted to both companies, with the condition that the two companies not establish settlements within 100 miles of each other. The Plymouth Company hoped to establish a colony on the shoulders of merchants who would finance a trip for settlers that would then work off the initial investment through trade. The principal members of the company were Sir John Popham, a prominent English politician who had been Speaker of the House of Commons, Attorney General of the Kingdom, and was at the time of the company's formation the Lord Chief Justice of England, and his nephew George Popham, Sir Fernando Gorgeous, Sirs John Gilbert, and his brother Raleigh, William Parker, and Thomas Hannum. Before the establishment of the company, John Popham had sent a ship to America to explore, but the ship was captured by Spaniards and confiscated. Thomas Hannum made a more successful trip later in 1606, which identified the region as favorable for settlement. It was Hannum's journey that convinced the other adventurers to obtain the charter for the Plymouth Company. On May 31, 1607, about a month after the successful landing of settlers at Jamestown, 120 colonists set off from Plymouth, England, in two ships. There were two primary goals of the initial colony, to trade with the natives and to prove that the local forest could be used for building ships. Several earlier trips had already reached New England at that point. First was the 1602 voyage of Bartholomew Gosnold, who had named Cape Cod and attempted to establish a settlement there, but had instead returned to England. More important was the journey of George Weymouth, who had sailed to Maine in 1605. Weymouth had, apparently with the backing and pre-planning of his sponsors, which included Fernando Gorgias, also an investor in the Plymouth Company, kidnapped five natives and brought them back to England. 
The natives later told a Frenchman that they believed the English had killed those men. The two ships that sailed were the Gift of God, captained by George Popham, who had been named President of the Colony, and the Mary and John, captained by Second-in-Command Raleigh Gilbert. They carried with them one of the kidnapped Native Americans, who they intended to return. In August, they returned the kidnapped man to the shore, and then settled at a place near the Sagadahawk River, now known as the Kennebec, on August 13th. Actually, the Gift of God arrived first, while the Mary and John overshot the place, and had to have a boat sent to help them in a few days later. There they delivered a sermon and read out the patent and other laws. Afterwards, they began work on setting up a colony by digging a well, building a stone house, a few huts made of logs, and a stockade, which they proudly dubbed Fort St. George, located near the small modern town of Phippsburg. However, they almost immediately ran into problems. Though Weymouth's initial journey had gone out with the goal of finding friendly natives, kidnapping their people turned the natives against Europeans, and specifically against the English. They refused to provide the colonists with any supply of maize or other food. Another problem arose between the two leaders of the colony. Fernando Gorgias described the colony president, George Popham, as timorously fearful to offend, while second-in-command Raleigh Gilbert was desirous of supremacy and rule, a loose life, prompt to sensuality, little zeal in religion, humorous, headstrong, and of small judgment and experience, while in other ways valiant enough. Though Gorgias' opinion smacked somewhat of bias, one of the issues may have been age. Popham was in his 50s, while Gilbert was only 25. 180 years after the establishment of the colony, a map was rediscovered that had been stolen in England by a spy and brought to the Spanish, as evidence of what the English were doing on land that the Spanish already claimed. The map was drawn on October 8, 1607, and drawn by the colonist John Hunt, and it is a detailed and scaled map of the colony it was then planned. During August and September, the colonists had been hard at work, turning Fort St. George into a proper star fort to be defended by nine cannons. His drawing shows 18 buildings, including Gilbert's house, a chapel, a storehouse, a cooperage, and a guardhouse. However, it's unclear how much of the plan was actually completed. On October 6th, the Mary and John was sent back to England to report their success. It seems that the gift of God, too, was expected to be sent away, but was kept nearby when the colony got word that a French force would come and besiege them. The French never appeared. Popham was optimistic about the colony, having heard that there are nutmegs, mace, and cinnamon, as well as more trade goods in the area from the local Abenaki people. Popham also heard that there was some large body of water only a few days west. This he thought was likely the Pacific Ocean and the route to China, which unquestionably cannot be far from these parts. There was no word of precious metals like gold or silver, which the English had hoped to find. The colonists had counted on receiving food from the locals, and when they were refused, they were forced to consider a new plan for survival. It arrived too late to plant food and could sustain the colony, and did not carry enough supplies to last all 120 of the colonists through the winter. On December 5th, the gift of God left the colony with most of the colonists, leaving 45 behind with enough stores to last them until spring. Both Popham and Gilbert remained with the colony. The winter was brutally cold, and the Kennebec froze over completely. According to one colonist, it proved so extremely unseasonable and frosty as no book could stir upon any business. The gift of God left with enough stores to support a six-week journey, but apparently the stores were small enough that they were given instructions to sell what trading goods they had, mass made from local timber, cable, and furniture, at Azores if necessary. It took the boat 47 days at sea to reach England, and the men aboard had apparently eaten their way through all of the provisions by the time they reached the Azores. At least three men seemed to have died on the journey before they reached England in March of 1608. Back at the colony, the men there were having their own troubles. They had, according to one colonist, built 50 houses, likely too large a number, and completed the fort. The most important work they accomplished was the completion of a ship, a pretty pinnace of about some 30 ton, which they called Virginia. A pinnace, also called a pinnacle, is, according to one expert, perhaps the most confusing of all the early 17th century types of vessels. They varied widely in size, as they were named more for use than type. It could be small enough to be carried aboard a ship, or as large as 50 tons. The Virginia was about 56 feet long, about middle size for a pennant. The advantage of the small ship was that it could be rigged in different ways for different jobs and could be used for coastal sailing and scouting as well as cross-Atlantic travels. The Virginia is thought to be the very first English-built ocean-going vessel ever built in the New World, and the first in a long tradition of shipbuilding in the region centered at nearby Bath, Maine. They began trade for fur with the Native Americans, but some kind of misunderstanding at one event led to the discharge of a cannon and the burning of some buildings. Written records say that the storehouse was burned, however, archaeological investigation shows that it wasn't, but that several other buildings were. The winter continued to be harsh. One colonist wrote that there was thunder, lightning, rain, frost, snow, all in abundance, the last continuing in January of 1608. Meanwhile, other events were deciding the fate of the colony. In England, John Popham had died 
depriving the company of its greatest backer. George Popham died on February 5th at the Colony, in unknown circumstances, making Gilbert president. It was under Gilbert that the Virginia was completed. In May of 1608, a supply ship brought news of John Popham's death. In July, Raleigh Gilbert's brother, another backer, died in London. Then Mary and John returned to Popham Colony in September with the news. Raleigh was his brother's heir and was needed back in England to settle the estate. The colony had in that time been somewhat successful, all things in good forwardness, and many kinds of furs obtained from the Indians by way of trade. The winter, though it had been harsh, had not actually killed many of the colonists. Popham is the only certain death, although other reports suggested that Native Americans had killed 11, and the captain of the Mary and John wrote that Popham and some other were dead. Certainly the death toll was considerably less than that experienced at Jamestown, further south. Losing Gilbert was apparently the last straw for the colony, however. No other colonist stood to replace him. Without leadership, and with the fear that all other winters would prove like the first, the colonists decided to abandon the fort. They re-rigged Virginia and departed, with one colonist writing that this was the end of that northern colony upon the river. The little pinnacle would, however, go on to have its own adventures. After crossing the Atlantic with the Popham colonists, it returned to the Americas with a third supply mission to Jamestown in 1609, the largest fleet England has ever amassed in the West, according to the leader of the fleet, Christopher Newport. The fleet ran into a tempest in July, now believed to be a hurricane, and the largest ship, the Sea Venture, was wrecked in Bermuda. The Virginia, however, survived, apparently having missed the hurricane, and reached Jamestown in October. What happened to the ship afterwards is unknown. The Popham colony seems to have been relatively unique among European colonies in North America in that it didn't suffer mass death. An earlier French settlement in St. Croix had lost nearly half of its population, and nearly half the pilgrims that landed at Plymouth Colony in 1620 didn't make it through the first winter. And unlike Jamestown, the Popham colony seems to have been at least moderately successful at acquiring trade goods that could be sold back in England. Although it only lasted for 14 months, it definitely proved the value of New World forests. There were lessons learned that were useful in future journeys, and it was remarkable in the creation of the Virginia, the beginning of America's shipbuilding traditions. The Plymouth Company fell into disuse until it was reorganized and used to support New England settlements later, like the Plymouth Colony. Remarkably, though, Popham Colony was nearly entirely forgotten until documents were rediscovered in the latter 19th century. It caused quite a stir among historians who, by that point, considered it well established that Plymouth Colony was the first in New England. Going to show us that no matter what we think about history, there's always more history to discover that deserves to be remembered. Now's the part of the episode where we get to chat with the history guy. A little bit about what we just heard, what we're going to hear, and some behind-the-scenes stuff you only get to hear about on the podcast. So the Popham colony is a really is a really interesting story, and I think one of the cool things about it is that it's it's got connections to Jamestown. Its uh, biz, its company was was uh, you know simultaneous. Mm -hmm. They were in these similar locations, and yet it was completely forgotten. And we're not yeah. just talking you know uh, lost, the, yeah. forgotten, absolutely, yeah. That, that, that it was just until someone dug up a note, you know. So, that, so that's I mean, when you talk about forgotten history, it's just amazing when history is rediscovered like that. Yeah, and you know, Popham, it sounds like it honestly was was in many ways more successful than the other colonies that were so much yeah. better known. They just had kind of a series of deaths at the wrong time of, yeah. of supporters and leaders and and they just kind of left. Uh, and it's so funny, you know, that it was just yeah, at that point it was just forgotten. And now they can they're doing archaeology there now and finding yeah. where the colony was. So it's it's a fascinating story, but it's even more fascinating by the idea that this is something that we just didn't know happened for yeah. you know for decades. It had simply been dropped from the, the human experience. And here we go find out wow. It's it's amazing that you know stuff like that can happen, and I will continue to discover things that you know stuff that we thought uh, that we didn't think happened or that we didn't so know. So exciting for a historian to think that there's history out there that's been lost that might be rediscovered, and yeah. we'll be able to you know get this whole richer understanding of the human experience. So I mean that that makes it just a really compelling story. And you know we talk we prefer forgotten history on the history yeah. guide, but you know if you're talking about Roanoke, which is already a problem, we don't know what happened to the Roanoke colony, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, but I mean lots of people have talked about that, and and when you find something that like gosh, you know we didn't even know that happened, that's that's fun and and uh, it's interesting and it's uh, and it's people who deserve to be remembered who were almost forgotten. Yeah, it's a great part of this job. You know we. Uh, we know a lot about history, of course. We, that's what we spend our days doing. But one of the things is that we're constantly learning new, oh, yeah. new things. Even, All the time. Even... Every episode, you find out things you yeah. didn't know, and and that's the that's the fun part, really. Kind of is is to pick through the you know the 
the few pieces that you're like, wow, I didn't know this. And to be able to put those in because you know you're releasing a little bit of a treasure where someone else that's listening is going to say, wow, yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. yeah it's it's wonderful to, to be able to do these these kinds of stories. And this one, it really is an amazing story because of how successful the colony seemed to be. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, it's it's a good example of just how, you know, how tenuous those connections really were. Because this is one where, I mean, honestly, in some ways, uh, more things went right than almost anywhere else. I mean, gosh, Jamestown, you know, had a, uh, was a, was a disaster in some ways. And yet they just kept fighting to keep it there. And this one, they had relatively few deaths, yeah. even compared to, uh, you know, the Plymouth colony in, in almost the same location, uh-huh. uh, hardly not, not very far away compared to, compared to most of the colonies. And yet still, uh, it failed and was relegated to complete obscurity yeah. to the point where, where no one even remembered it. It's hard to imagine you put that much into it. And then one day it's like, ah, it's what we'll leave. We're done. <laughs> We're done. We're gonna go back. It's that 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 importance of leadership, and it. I mean, that was always true at any of these colonies. You had to have a good leader. But it's amazing that you know they had a couple of guys, and essentially, you know, the leader in uh, yeah at Popham dies, and then they they lose a couple of important backers, and there's just well, and the guy who's the leader has to go back because his dad yeah. died, and, and yeah, then, you, you put it all together, and and uh, they have to uh, you know they just said there's no one here that can can lead this colony no one no one stepped up and it's 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 incredible because if if someone had you know someone had if this had been a successful colony which it seems to have i mean is there was always a struggle to make these all all the colonies struggled to make money Uh, in in most cases i mean even you know jamestown was not a huge financial success for the most part for the people who supported the company it was always that was always a, a fight on that but this one seemed to be more successful on that front initially than than Jamestown or uh, honestly Plymouth or other or quite a few other uh, colonies mm-hmm. that tried that kind of thing and despite yeah, financially and as well yeah. as you know they didn't have the mass death and uh, yeah. Uh, so it seems like this could have, you know, eventually, and you know, we could. This could be the country of Popham, you know. Yeah, and, something. And, and, we have a we have a state called Popham or something. Yeah, yeah, and, and Thanksgiving, and, we we celebrated around, you know, what, what something that happened to Popham as opposed yeah. to. Oh, well, you know, Popham had still been going strong when the when the Plymouth colony arrived. You wonder, you know, if that if that would have been yeah. helped support the Plymouth colony. So it's, there's a lot of what if there, but yeah. it's just, and you wonder, you know, are there more? Yeah. Are there other colonies that that went out there that didn't have you know even as good a documentation as this one? That... The, the Vinland Saga was very similar too, yeah. in that it was it was really lost for a very long time. No one knew about that at all, and was you know, kind of rediscovered some of the sagas and realized yeah. you know. So how many, you know, really, what was the first colony in in the yeah. Americas? That, that's, a, that? that's a long discussion. It's always been a long argument. Yeah. Uh, and and, and the, you know that's what you'd say about you know Columbus. He's the one who stayed. Yeah, <laughs> so we remember. Him. He might not have been the first one that bumped in. Yeah. Might not have known for sure where he was, but I mean he stayed, and so we remember him. And you wonder how many you know did amazing things and they yeah, didn't, didn't stay, and so we you know we forgot about. Well, him. and so often it relies on uh, someone writing something down, but also mm-hmm. having the right people write something. Yeah, down. write something down so that they hang on to it. Yeah, because uh, you know with Popham here, it clearly kind of part of the issue was that it wasn't the the right people writing it down. Is that these mm-hmm. were fairly important people for their time but ultimately you know a lot of those people who are, are fairly prominent in their time mm-hmm. fade into obscurity that's true well and here the prominent supporters who maybe could have made a difference are the ones who you know passed away at the, yeah. at the wrong time and, and, and so they're not they're not you know continuing to push it or talk about it or try to drum up support and then that that's just it we literally just forget about it it's crazy it's and it's still there were a lot of difficulties at this colony it's this was a common choice by European uh, nations when they went all over the place. Uh, they'd go find a place and they're like, all right, we're going to take some people home to like Christianize them or <laughs> civilize yeah, them or whatever yeah. so that we can bring them back. Yeah, they did uh, kidnap at the start and that, and that ended up causing poor relations with the Native Americans. So apparently if you show up and grab five of their people and just sail away with them so that they think you've murdered them, <laughs> puts yeah, you but, on the wrong side. And they, they remembered very clearly, I think it's, you know, they, they, they knew who the French were and they knew who the British were and they were like, all right, the French did not come and kidnap our people, but the British did. Not that the, not that the French are, you know, completely innocent of yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, but the French just... actually very much uh, treated differently with the indigenous yeah. peoples and that, and that I think that made, made a, difference. a difference. I think there was a long time when actually the, the natives were more likely to treat with the French than with the, with the British. And then there was a point where they were more likely to treat with the British than the Americans. Yeah. Uh, and then the British weren't coming there to take things and the Americans were going to try to take it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, that the connection between the old world and the new is one of the most important events in, in human history. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but it certainly had enormous costs yeah. for this thing that we call the new world. Uh, and, you know, 
starting with five of their, you know, imagine if just five of your friends. Imagine if the town next door wants to learn about you. And so they just drive out to the edge of town, grab five dudes, drive away with them, totally against their will. No, you, they, don't, they don't leave a message. They don't tell uh-huh. you what they're doing. Yeah. I, I think that because these days, you know, we would think uh, most people, I think, would be like, oh, well, I can understand why they'd be mad at me if we did that. It's quite clear that the Europeans of the time didn't really consider that. They they, they weren't really no. thinking, oh, what will this I, do to our relations? I'm quite sure that they thought when they were kidnapping these people to Christianize them that they were yeah. improving their souls and sending them off to heaven. and, and Rescuing them yeah. from savagery or something. And that, that's, that's, I mean, those those were typical views of the time mm-hmm. and it, wrong and it came to came back to bite well, about you know, this the, the natives were certainly not about kidnapping well know, i mean that's well, also so true so, yeah. so, 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 it's, it's not like, like they were innocent of but uh, i mean if you want to talk a true clash of cultures especially since these you know these are you know people just showing up and said okay i'm gonna i'm gonna live here now yeah 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 that, well in very 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 different cultures didn't i but you know, you understand why why they were maybe they were like, I don't think we want you guys around. You kidnapped our uh, people yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and brought them. And back, how much but... difference those you know if they'd had a peaceful relationship, it would yeah. have been. I mean, you know, that's where Thanksgiving really came from. Is, yeah. is that was a, a peaceful coexistence for some time. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, most of those relationships soured somewhat because uh, I mean, well, the, the Europeans both, wanted to expand. You're both living and, on that same land, you know, yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah. It's, I mean, there was only so much room. Yeah, and so that, which which is where it goes. But Popham ultimately is able to, you know, even despite initial uh, bad bad relations with the with the local tribes, they they did okay, and they were able to do trading with them. And uh, it's it's interesting trading that was economically valuable yeah. at first. And they, uh, yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's it's as a colony, it's I mean, it's a lot like a lot of other colonies. It's amazing some of the things that they did. But what's still most amazing about it is that then they just packed up and left, and everybody forgot that they were ever there just done they just walked away yeah. and it's you do wonder because you know if we didn't know anything about it it's awfully hard to just stumble upon this kind of archaeological site there's just mm-hmm. so much and how do you understand what it is even yeah if, you, get there if you don't have any kind of well we have that problem all the time that's a problem with north sites we find in the you know in canada and stuff is mm-hmm. that we still just don't know enough there's no there's nothing written except for you know the sagas and the sagas are uh, somewhat ambiguous yes and, and are you know intended to be stories i yeah. mean so how to but i mean it's also extraordinary to think how much record is still laying around england Seriously. Yeah, letters yeah. or whatever. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so much history. Uh, and so you've got, I mean, somewhere in a library, somewhere is something that was amazing at the time that's yeah. completely forgotten today. And that someone hasn't, you know, it's sitting in a box someplace and someone hasn't given it the attention it uh, maybe deserves. But the, the problem is there's just so much of it. And that's, you know, that's before we start talking about the many, many documents that were, were burned or lost or, or otherwise have been, you know, or sitting in an attic someplace uh, with no one to even know they're there. Yep. I, uh, I think Popham is, is such a cool story. I think it's interesting. It's the first place that England, uh, that English built a ship and it's a yeah. real ship, not it's just a, a not yeah, just sails like across a, the ocean multiple times. Yeah. yeah. It's an amazing little vessel. And, uh, uh, especially in a place that tended, ended up being just a center yeah. of shipbuilding, you know, throughout history. Uh, and, and they, you know, the first place that they, that they built one, there's, there's just a great poetic justice. There. It's yeah. not like Popham became a, you know, a, a shipbuilding works. No, but I, was, I can't right. imagine. I mean, it's hard to imagine today that you show up on the shore and with nothing but an ax, you know, turn the forest into a, sh- a sailing vessel that can sail back and forth. It's, I mean, if we send somebody, if, if Elon Musk sends somebody to Mars, are they going to be able to pick up pieces of Mars and build, yeah, a, build, a, build a ship? Can, and they can send back here. <laughs> That'll be something to see. That's right. That seems like it would be pretty difficult. Well, it, it, would, it was difficult. At least they have the, the same, you know, raw, similar raw materials. But Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I mean, that's a whole different, I mean, you're, you're to cross the ocean with it. I mean, that's, it's, yeah. it's, and so, I mean, you wonder if we, if we reach out to the stars or whatever, because at first it's going to be the same thing. You put a little tow hold on there yeah. and you have to figure out how to turn that into a place to live. Uh, and, you know, it, it, that we might face that again, because yeah. that humanity did. We had this time where you were on the other side of an ocean and it was the top end of our technology that could even get across that ocean. Quite a, quite often didn't. Yeah. You know, much of it was lost <laughs> in the storms. Uh, and and that you got there and you had to you had to make one of those yourselves out of you know just the, the tools that you brought. That's that's just absolutely amazing to think about it. Yeah. Will will humanity be able to do that again? Hopefully not on someone else's land, but hopefully that's the that that's what we have to we have to hope for and that we'll be able to but it'll be a struggle and it'll be both i think it's interesting that it'll be both a familiar struggle and a very very new one a very new one yeah i also thought that it's they talked about oh someone said there was a big water nearby mm-hmm. and 
it's it's just one of those funny comments because he's he's like oh that must be the pacific ocean and <laughs> now that dramatic irony of history we're like we know something you don't <laughs> and that's that you were an awful long way yeah, from, from the pacific, pacific ocean yeah <laughs> which i guess when you when you think about it now they must have been probably talking about the great lakes but i mean i he might have yeah, misunderstood misunderstood what's a big water that's fair yeah yeah, the, the the fact that they're like, oh, big water, and he's like, that must be an ocean. That's, uh -huh. That might have been just, it might have been just simply a translation. Well, I mean, I mean, it's amazing that apparently trading networks that really crossed yeah. all the way across the Americas and things like that. But I mean, you know, the bottom line is, any any people that you ran into probably uh, held sway and had experience in a in a relatively small geography. Yeah. And so, when your world is, you know, twenty square miles, fifty square miles, hundred square miles, then you know everything's going to you know, be a different sort of reference. That's true. And then your I mean, your big water. Yeah, you know, how did an Englishman explain England and Europe to uh, to a native when they got here? So I mean, they, you know, your worlds are very different to, to try to compare. But, yeah, and and to understand those distances, I, yeah, it I, took it took a while to figure out how big the Americas were. That's not a surprise. Yeah, yeah that's it's the maps are the maps are always cool. I like looking at those early maps because you first get this like oh they think it's like this skinny uh -huh. skinny little, and then they slowly start discovering everything, <laughs> and they keep trying to, they keep trying to draw the, the Pacific Ocean close to that. I, I, ultimately, <laughs> that was this big dream was that it was so hard to get to it was so hard to get to China and the uh, various ports and the you know in the far well, east. Yeah, and there was agreement over who. Owned on the on that yeah. ocean, yeah, but uh, yeah. So you thought you had this different way to get there. So you find out the world's round. I can just go that way. Like, go yeah, that. That's big. <laughs> yeah, and yet they weren't. I think, I think people being still sometimes have trouble understanding how big America is. I think yeah. they grasping how big this continent is. It across. is a long way to yes. walk across all of <laughs> all of North America, and depending on you know where you're trying to walk across it, it's it can be an awfully long way. Yeah. And their you know their ability to to map is not always the. If you're a little off, <laughs> your maps suddenly start looking pretty ridiculous, and uh, yeah. they, they were it would, be, it would have been a dangerous journey anyway, and it was. I mean, it continued took took them a long time to actually get all the way across. Even once they had, uh, you know, once the Spanish had like camp come across Mexico and were sending ships up the mm -hmm. west coast, it still took forever to figure out exactly. Yeah, what but that was all, in between you in the middle yeah. and put it all together. You know, and, and, now that we can, you know, hang above the earth and see the whole of its geography, there's still parts of the earth that are not used under yeah. the oceans and things like that. But I mean, you know, when you think about it, our understanding of, you know, whatever might come next is just as tenuous. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Now we have a way to look at a map and it, uh, even if, you know, you're not like great at geography, you have a basic idea of what the world looks like. And that is a, that is new. Because uh, it didn't used to be like that, that we had any any real idea, uh, objective yeah. idea of what the world looked like from, uh, you know, from a really far it's a off huge difference and, when you can when you can see from, yeah. <laughs> from see from space. Now now yeah. now we can draw these map we can draw all these maps and yeah, we take it for granted. But man, there was a long time where uh, you did not even if you had a map, it, its accuracy was not necessarily. A, yeah, yeah, and and how, well, especially how flat maps were figuring out around yeah. globes and all sorts of things. Yeah. So, I mean, that we have all the things that we have now that's extraordinary compared to the past. One of the things that we have now that's extraordinary compared to the past is that we have, we have an ability to visualize yeah. the Earth in a way that wasn't there before. You could, you know, go up. You know, despite the failure of Popham, uh, you can still argue uh, that it was an important milestone in the colonization, especially of the, the, uh, the Northeast, of the, what is now the United States, is that it, it proved... Uh, which without apparently without a uh, people remembering it proved that that was that it could be successful especially yeah. that far north and um, I'm not sure how much people took that lesson because I'm not sure exactly yeah. when it was forgotten. That's but, also uh, that's also. But, I mean, it, it did. I mean, every every time that you came over, if you survived, then yeah. that's proof that you could survive, and then that encouraged more to come over, and of course, probably wasn't necessarily good for the natives. But <laughs> yes, I mean, I mean, and being yeah. the first has meaning. I mean, the the fact that they could build a successful colony there, even if people didn't remember that, it does say that you know we had the ability to do that, we had the technology to do that, and uh, you find out you know the success of these colonies often has to do with the planning and. and yeah. uh, but I mean, it's just, there's lots of life lessons there too on how yeah. something how something can be well done all around and still fail in the yeah. end because you know and they still faced you know they faced all these various issues with uh, they didn't get there in time to plant and what they you know what they were able to plant didn't didn't work out as well as they wanted and stuff burned down and it's it really is an interesting uh, an interesting way to see how even successful colonies even colonies that uh, seem to have been run fairly well. Uh, are constantly beset by uh -huh. the difficulties of being where they are and not not being able to build as well. And of course, you've got fires and in uh -huh. huts and 
I mean, that's true today, though. I mean, yeah. I mean whether you, you constantly face challenges, there's, there's yeah. you know, huge pieces of land that we use to raise the food for the world that will have a drought. Or, yeah. I mean, so uh, you know, we, we still face those issues in a world that's more interconnected and we have a better ability to move, you know, when it's good in when some place and bad in another place where you can move that around. Yeah. But, I mean, that idea that you're just there and that it's, that it's months away from anybody that might know anything about you and that you can't communicate it, too, which yeah. will, We'll, you know, find out here. We'll find out in the in the second video that we have today too. I mean, that's you know, you're just you just have to figure it out by yourself. And the, those, do we have those people anymore? Yeah. I mean, do we still have that ability, or have we lost it in the modern world? We certainly uh, we don't have we don't face these kinds of problems so much anymore. And of course, we'd have different uh, resources if we did. But it's it's true is that they they were certainly you know those pioneers and those people who were willing to go do that. Uh, they were. They were risking their lives, and even if they lived, it was going to be the kind of difficult, backbreaking work that you know uh, was not necessarily going to be uh, th- you know thankful. People were not necessarily going to be mm-hmm. like you weren't going to necessarily make a bunch of money off of it or be you know really live the life you wanted to live, get what you wanted to get out of it. Yeah. But you were willing to, you know, you make that maybe yeah. because you just need a room, maybe because you what you want to do before, but maybe just because there's that, you know, like the mountain climber says, because it's there. Yeah. You know, that, uh, so, I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary time and extraordinary people. Those people that pop them, I mean, I don't think that 99% of the world today could, ex- could even imagine that level of hardship and, and yeah. endure it. Uh, and so they deserve to be remembered. Magellan TV is sponsoring this episode, and they sponsor all of our podcasts. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that what we like to do is talk about what we've been watching on Magellan TV lately. And so what have you been watching on Magellan TV? You know, uh, yesterday I was just kind of looking for things to, to watch, and I found this one called The Extraordinary Tale of William Buckley, The Great Untold Story of Australia's Robinson Crusoe. I'd never heard of the guy. Uh, and the, the documentary is just a lot of fun because it does, it does it kind of first person they're reenacting it. They've got a guy who reenacts it throughout. And it's, it's this guy that was brought to Australia as a prisoner and ran away because he didn't want to be a prisoner. And, <laughs> and they were, I mean, not in the, like when it was a colony. I mean, like, you know, really at the very start here. So he's just running off into the wilderness and he ends up being adopted by uh, uh, Aborigines uh, uh, and adopted into their culture. And eventually the people that he became adopted and became part of their their life and their culture and their family essentially get wiped out by Europeans. And this guy's stuck, you know, one leg in both worlds. It's really a fascinating story. The documentary's a lot of fun because it really shows you how, you know, whole, his whole experience is. It's really a coincidence that keeps him alive. So I won't spoil it. What I would say is that it is as compelling a story of history as you've ever heard, very much like the history guy, something I've never heard before and, and, and almost forgotten history. What have you been watching on Magellan TV? So one of the ones I watched recently is called Dino Bird. And that's a little bit of a dramatic title, but what they're what they're looking at is uh, cassowaries, uh, which are live in Australia in rainforest. But the cassowaries are really interesting birds. <laughs> that's they are known as some of the most dangerous birds. They've got like this nasty claw. Although I was reading some stuff, apparently they're not perhaps as deadly and dangerous as their reputation would suggest. I wouldn't mess with any bird that looks me in the eye. I, yeah, that's right. That big, that heavy. Yeah. Um, but this one was mostly about this particular cassowary who was an old, uh, an old woman and she is <laughs> named Bertha. And she, uh, in cassowary world, it's the, it is the women who run, they, they rule the roost. And so she is going around and laying eggs with random males. She chooses who she wants to uh to have eggs with and then she lays those eggs and she leaves she's like dad that's up to you i don't really care what happens after this point and so it's, it's up to the males to raise the <laughs> up to the males completely the males raise them completely from from uh, egg to to adult fairly uncommon in in nature where yeah. it's a, solely a male uh, that does that does the child rearing but bertha is quite a character she is somewhat uh, somewhat frightening i would i they they talk about she like walks up to this like young male and they're like oh she's you know she's intimidating and i'm like yeah i'd be intimidated by her too yeah. <laughs> but it's also you know the, the difficulties of being a cassowary and in the <laughs> Yeah, it's less, civilization less, encroaching yeah, yeah. on him. Less uh, and less habitat. Yeah, it's it's a really it's a really great documentary, and you get it again is. just amazing, amazing film of these of these really this, quite incredible. One birds. of the awesome things about Bajellan TV is that you can go from something like a nature documentary like yeah. that to something about like a you know this is, I guess would have been early modern history when, when I was looking at it. You can you can look at modern history, you can look at true crime, you can look at space and technology, uh, and that's all there on Bajellan TV. Thousands yeah. and they had, and you know they had hundreds every single week. 
It's amazing. It's amazing. I, I never run out of stuff to watch. There's always something more. I, I watch it all over the place, whether yeah. I'm watching it on my TV or my tablet or my phone. Yeah, the problem is it's always that you've got so many you want to watch. I mean, yeah. The problem is picking which one you got the time <laughs> for because there's always something great to watch on the dome TV. And, of course, if you are a listener or watcher of The History Guy, you can always go to try.magellantv.com slash historyguy, where we will always have a deal for you, sometimes a free month or a deal on an annual membership or even a documentary that you can watch for free. Again, that's try.magellantv.com slash historyguy. Next up, The History Guy tells the story of Scotland's attempt to colonize Panama. And stay tuned after the episode to hear us chat a little more with The History Guy. On August 15th, 1914, the Panama Canal opened, the culmination of a massive engineering project that has transformed the world's economy. In the century before, there had been many different schemes and visions, and even some attempts to cross the isthmus as the economic potential of a trade route between China and Europe via the Caribbean was recognized. But actually, the economic potential of Panama was recognized long before that. In the latter part of the 17th century, Scotland looked to reverse decades of economic decline and join Europe's great powers by creating a colony in the Americas. Several different ventures failed, but by 1690 they had settled on a promising new possibility. Panama. The Darien Scheme, the Scottish attempt to colonize Panama, might have changed the world. It is history that deserves to be remembered. The 1600s were a century of struggle for Scotland. In 1603, James VI, King of the Scots, had inherited the crown of England and become English King James I. But the two kingdoms remained separate otherwise. Religious fighting throughout the century persisted, leading in terms to the Bishops' Wars, the English Civil War, and in the middle of the century, the execution of Charles I and the establishment of the Cromwellian Protectorate. Scotland fought against Cromwell in support of Charles II, but was ultimately defeated and kept under military occupation. Restoration of the monarchy in 1660 brought little relief. Scotland was traditionally friendly with France, but English and French conflict prevented Scotland from trading with them, and the Navigation Acts forbade Scotland from trading with England's colonies. The Glorious Revolution in 1688 saw King James VII dethroned, but Scottish Jacobites continued to fight the English in his name. On top of all that, the 1690s brought them a major slump in trade, historically cold winters, and a series of bad harvests, collectively called the Seven Ill Years. Depopulation in some areas reached as high as 25%. Scottish interests were actively searching for a way to expand Scotland's trading potential, in the hope of rescuing their faltering economy. The man with the idea that would stick was William Patterson. Patterson was born in Scotland around 1658 and had immigrated to the Bahamas, where he had first heard of Darien a region in what is now Panama. Panama was an important locus of trade, and much of Spain's colonial wealth passed through the region. First sighted by Europeans in 1501, in 1510, Vasco Núñez del Baboa founded a town in Darien, the first city founded by conquistadors in mainland America, although it was abandoned in favor of Panama City. In 1534, the Spanish king even ordered a survey to assess the feasibility of building a canal across the region. Patterson saw potential in Panama, and on his return to England, he attempted to convince the English to establish a colony there. The English were then involved in a war with France, didn't want to antagonize the Spanish, so they declined. Patterson also tried to convince the Dutch and the Holy Roman Empire to establish a colony at Darien. Patterson, wealthy from his part in the slave trade, and after having played a significant role in the founding of the Bank of England, finally returned to Scotland, where he was able to convince the Scottish government of his plan. Scottish enterprises had attempted colonization in the Americas several times before, first at Nova Scotia, which was finally successfully settled in 1629, only to be lost to the French by treaty in 1632. Half of the New Jersey colony was designated East Jersey as a Scottish settlement, although it would eventually be merged into a royal colony. Scotland was also able to secure part of Carolina as a Scottish colony, which was then wiped out by the Spanish only two years after its founding. In 1693, the Scottish Parliament passed legislation allowing for a joint stock company that could found colonies, the Act in Favor of the Scots Trading Company Trading to Africa and the Indies. The Scots Trading Company was meant to be the Scottish equivalent to the British and Dutch East India Companies. The Act forming the company granted it exclusive privilege of trade between Scotland and America for 31 years and a perpetual monopoly to arm and equip its ships in trade to Asia and Africa. King William III was fighting in Europe at the time, and on his return he remarked that he was a little surprised at the sweeping nature of the concession given to the company. 
Though the location was initially kept secret, the endeavor was hardly supported by the Scottish populace. The Scots opened up subscription books to support the company in London on November 13, 1695, and they closed only nine days later with £300,000 subscribed. Then the first of many roadblocks appeared. The English government, listening to complaints from the East India Company, discouraged investment, and many of the investors suddenly withdrew. Scotland next sought subscriptions from Holland and Hamburg, both of which fell apart thanks to English influence. Scotland had only one other option for financing, the Scottish people themselves. All ranks, yea, the body of the nation are longing to have a plantation in America, Scottish promoters advertised. Initially, the company was supported only by the Scottish elite, but without foreign assistance, the company couldn't be financed on the backs of the wealthy alone. Since England was actively sabotaging the effort, the average Scotsman was suddenly interested as a display of patriotism. Scottish historian Peter Hume Brown would later say that there has been no such enthusiasm in the country as was shown by all classes in their eagerness to invest their savings in the company. It was fueled, another historian said, by an astonishing outburst of patriotic defiance. Without foreign support, the company had to increase the necessary figure as well, seeking 400,000 pounds sterling. Despite widespread poverty, the people of Scotland showed up. The amount of money subscribed was incredible. It's been estimated to be 20% or more of the total capital available in the country. The Scots had pledged 2.5 pounds sterling per person. Even critics were impressed, with one writing, To be short, they came in shoals from all corners of the kingdom to Edinburgh, rich, poor, blind, and lame, to lodge their subscriptions. The company also broke tradition by allowing women to invest, of which a large number did, including 22 widows. While they considered other activities, Patterson's plan became the primary goal. Perhaps the most progressive aspect was for the colony at Darien to be available to all countries for trade. In general, trade at the time was of the mercantilist system, usually controlled by a single country or company that kept others out. Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations, which championed free trade, wouldn't be published for another 80 years. With the money in hand, the Company of Scotland bought supplies and ships, and they researched the region, and as with all good stories, they turned to pirates. They consulted the recently published A New Voyage Around the World by pirate William Dampier, who had crossed the Darien Isthmus and invited another pirate, Lionel Wafer, to consult. Wafer had been abandoned on the Isthmus and was taken in by the indigenous locals who undertook to cure him. Wafer said that there was little Spanish presence in the Caribbean and that the wild locals lived some distance from the shore, which would allow the Scots to build a port. He also told them where to build a fort and of the locations of fresh water. Wafer thought that the Darien Isthmus was one of the most valuable spots of ground in the world. In only three years from the company's inception, it was able to execute its daring plan to outfit and send an expedition to form a colony in the New World. On July 14, 1698, the first three of five ships set sail from Leith to the Caribbean, only a few months delayed from their initial goal. Patterson and his family sailed with them. They sailed in secret, going north around Scotland and Ireland to avoid the English. Even the captains didn't know where they were headed. They opened up sealed letters at prearranged locations that led them to the next stage of their journey. The five ships were well stocked with supplies, meant to last at least a year once they arrived, and carried 1,200 people. In October, the fleet arrived at the Isthmus and met with local chiefs who, according to Scottish reports, pledged to sponsor the settlement and asked to be taken under the Scottish protection and government. Seventy-six people had died on the journey, including Patterson's wife, but the survival rate itself was better than average. They christened the colony New Caledonia, after the ancient name for Scotland. The native peoples were not naive or stupid, as Europeans often believed, and the Scots found negotiations complex and difficult. The indigenous people were attempting to work the various powers against each other, even as the Scots arrived, an English agent was attempting to negotiate a colony on the Isthmus. The locals also pressed the Scots very hard to come and live by them, and also jointly to make war against the Spaniards. The colonists built a fort and christened it Fort St. Andrew. They established a seven-person council with rotating leadership, with a new council member leading each month. The initial months of settlement were reasonably successful, and the colonists sent back positive accounts to their homeland, accounts that may have been deliberately rosier than reality. Unfortunately, the success wouldn't last. The region was in a state of war. The locals, especially the Guna people, were trying to keep the Spanish out, and the Caribbean was filling up with pirates who raided the coasts. Worse, the Spanish were already on high alert concerning the Darien region. News from the Guna and the constant threat of attack wore on morale, which worsened when the king began vocally opposing the venture. In Parliament, the Council of Trade and Plantations declared that the settlement broke English treaties with Spain, and the colony would be highly mischievous to English interests in the region. 
The Scots had repeatedly sought royal permission for their venture, but the king ultimately decided the colony was a threat. After those initial months, bad luck and low morale began to drag down the colony. The bay had treacherous tides that threatened the ships. Their delayed departure left provisions exceedingly short on what was given out or expected. Still, the captain of one ship pronounced that, I have sailed for the space of eight years together in America, and I must say, I never in all that time had provisions that held out so well. Their choice of trade items has also been criticized, but they did carry ironmongery and clothing to barter. Unfortunately, no one was there willing to trade with them. The delay in setting out also meant they landed at the height of the rainy season, which brought so much rain that it made building the settlement of New Edinburgh nearly impossible. This was also the peak season for malaria, and they arrived during a serious outbreak of yellow fever. The colony sent expeditions overland to find the Pacific, but quickly discovered that a reliable overland trade route through the dense jungles would be impossible in the short term. They failed to grow significant food, and their supplies became infested with maggots and worms. So the colonists became like so many skeletons. King William ordered English and Dutch colonies in the Caribbean to offer no support, and sent a message to the Spanish specifically disavowing the colony. Even France stood against them. Yea, one Scot said, it is plainly the interest of France to have Caledonia broken. The colonists were sorry to find that our good intention therein must, in all probability, prove abortive because of the proclamations. They begged the king for support, writing that we pray you to remember how promises made you to advance our trade have been broke. After six months, 25% of the original colonists had been lost. By the summer of 1699, lack of provisions and disease decimated the rest, as deaths reached 10 a day. By July, the remaining ships fled the colony and limped to the small settlement of New York after they were turned away in Jamaica. Just 300 of the initial 1,200 colonists would return home. Unaware of the disaster, two ships and around 300 new colonists arrived at the abandoned colony in August, but found nothing but ruins and graves. One of the ships burned in an accident in the harbor, and the other sailed back home. Later that fall, a second expedition arrived, also unaware that there was no colony to join. The 1,000 new colonists landed anyway to try and salvage the situation. Infighting amongst the leaders nearly paralyzed the country as the Spanish sent a force to oust them. The situation was only briefly stabilized when Colonel Alexander Campbell arrived, sent by the company to prepare a defense. Campbell provided able leadership and even defeated a Spanish force at a nearby stockade, but unfortunately he was wounded in the action and soon incapacitated by fever. The Spanish then sent 11 ships to evict the Scots and surrounded the struggling colony. The native people abandoned the Scots to their fate, and on March 31, 1700, the surviving settlers signed the Articles of Capitulation and were allowed to leave with their guns. Most of the thousand settlers who arrived were already dead. The scope of the failure was enormous. Nearly all the ships would sink attempting to return home, and what few colonists returned found an angry country. One colonist, Roger Oswald, wrote, Since it pleased God that I had preserved my life and had not the good fortune to lose it in this place, I never intended, nor do intend, to trouble my father any more. The damage to Scottish pride was devastating, but no less than the loss of so much of the country's money. The company had lost more than half of the money raised in subscriptions, leaving investors destitute. The disaster was nearly complete, and though the Scottish company survived, it struggled to find success in the face of English opposition. The venture has often been cited as a key part of why Scotland agreed to the Acts of Union in 1707, which united Scotland and England to form the Kingdom of Great Britain. The disaster at Darien has long been held as an example of a small country whose ambitions exceeded their ability, but the fact is that the Scottish settlers at Darien were as well prepared as any of the other European colonists who had made that dangerous journey. Although the obstacles faced by the colony at Darien were perhaps larger than any of those other ones seeking to establish a new life in the New World. Their choice of location may have played a part in their failure. Darien, now a Panamanian province, remains a wilderness, sparsely populated and the only gap in the Pan-American highway. The colony at Darien was doomed not so much by poor planning than by the concerted opposition. In 1722, Scottish minister Francis Borland wrote a memoir of the colony, and in it he concluded, No wonder that our infant colony here in Darien could not long thriving be by such ill neighbors, in a spot beset with grief and daily views of death remote from friends, the object of envy. Too many who did wish that we here might die. So when colonization, when you talk about colonization and empire, one of the places that doesn't come to mind is Scotland. Scotland, yeah. And it's, it's an, Scotland has an interesting story because, I mean, honestly, uh, 
their problem was England, and that no matter what they tried to do, England was was essentially trying to cut them off. Right? Yeah, yeah, and stop them from being the kingdom they wanted to be. Yes. Yeah, and that's I mean that's that's true in this story too. So England plays its part. Yeah. But it is amazing how they come together to make this colony. Mm-hmm. It is a story. It is I can't Absolutely, think. Of, yeah. I can't think of any other story. It's like astounding it. that, you know they that they got there even. Yeah. But I mean that that unlike all these other colonies, it wasn't that just they were fighting natives and nature and I mean, they're, they're in the middle of you know tropical malaria yeah. zone. But every other European power doesn't want them there. They're like mad that you're sitting off there in, in yeah. you know you know Panama or Nicaragua or you know something. They're not there, but they don't want you to be there. <laughs> so they were fighting everybody in order to try to hang on there it was i mean you can look at it now and be like man that was a hopeless that was a hopeless fight but i can i can see it was a it was a big deal for scotland and they it was truly a national i mean a national i mean maybe even more than any of the english colonies was how much they committed to it and what it what it meant to them and uh, so I mean, it's tragic that it fell. It's really tragic that it had to, you know, essentially be constantly attacked by yeah. other Europeans until they, until they were gone. But I mean, the colony fails. A thousand guys show up that were supposed to come to the colony didn't know that it failed. They just go, we'll try again. Incredible. You know, it's, yeah, it's. I mean, it's absolutely. And then we were talking about that communication. You know, yeah. imagine that you can't send an outside notes in the next thousand guys. <laughs> this we, didn't work out. But they did, and they, and they, and that they, they got off that boat, and that they kept trying. It's can, absolutely extraordinary. Can you imagine getting off your boat? You're expecting to find uh, something, at yes. least a yes. colony there. Yeah, a thriving colony that you're joining. Yeah. And what you find is is an abandoned. Yes, yeah, like, an, aban- <laughs> an abandoned fort, and that's it. You know, they're like. And huh. you and you decide, huh? Well, you know what? Let's just give. It, I don't want to sail home. Try. We'll try it again. Yeah, not very many of those made it out, but. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it says some, a lot about what's going on in Europe at the time that people are willing to risk themselves yeah. like that. And how, you know, some places they're just sending the convicts because they got no choice. And in some places it's, it's, you know, really people that are looking for elbow room. Yeah. Uh, but that, I mean, it, there's just a different spirit than we can imagine today. I mean, it, it's tough to move to a new city. Uh, yeah. imagine, imagine moving to a, into a, an abandoned colony in in, they do f- in Panama, tropical from Scotland, yeah. from Scotland. <laughs> yes. I I just can't imagine how unprepared they, that was. Nothing, you know, when when England goes to uh, Plymouth or Virginia or even Popham, those were at least vaguely similar compared to the absolute night and day that must have been going from yeah, Scotland to Panama. Too, yeah. And because, you know, people that had, you know, been involved in this sort of thing said this is one of the you know yeah. best prepared, best organized expeditions ever seen and the best supply and everything like that. And still, still you couldn't survive. And couldn't do it. And it's, it was a difficulty. I mean, it was hard enough. It's hard enough to make this successful. And, you know, we talked about how really very few of the colonies really made a lot of money. And, of course, I mean, Spain made a ton of money. Yes. Well, I mean, that's a fair point. Yeah. So Spain's, you know, became a world power because of it. But quite often you went and, you know, that whole idea that you're going to go there and you send back timber or whatever you're going to send back. It yeah. takes an awfully long time before you get any return on investment. Yeah. And, and when you have the difficulties, you know, what... It's, you know, those counterfactuals of what would have happened if Scotland had been successful here. It's it's hard to imagine. I mean, it couldn't have been any more of a disaster than it was. <laughs> but it's or pretty difficult well, for it to if be. You, if you really want to look at counterfactuals, what if this has succeeded? And essentially Panama had become, uh, you know, to Scotland what North America or Mexico was to. Yeah. And then at the point when we realize how important the Isthmus of Panama is, imagine if that's a part of a Scottish empire. I mean that could have been an enormous fortune for Scotland. That's I mean that's and, a good point. Uh, and Scotland might be a more important nation today than than England. Well, I mean now they're you know now they're Great Britain, but I mean and you know whether at the point that 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 you know that you I mean all the stuff that's going on in in to create the Great Britain and the United Kingdom and all that sort yeah. of stuff when you have a, a a personal union between them. How I mean if if Scotland really is uh, as much a world power or maybe has something more sellable even than what the North American colonies were having, you know what would that mean for the the uh, the history of England? in the United yeah. Kingdom. It's, it's incredible. It's interesting to say. Hey, and I mean, who knows? It's it's a, it's really difficult to see where things would go from there, but someone could write a really interesting uh, story about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This guy. So, but I mean, it is, it's just such a compelling story because you just never imagined that Scotland was an imperial power and that Scotland went out and created yeah. a colony. And how much they, they went to do that, even though everybody else was like, no, we don't want this. The, the whole reason, like we're talking about the counterfactuals, they didn't want other rivals that might be able to produce something powerful in the new world you know that's that's what they were fighting over, uh, so I mean that's that was what was at stake, and, and yeah. you know you know how, how you kind of chips at the end of the game, you know, uh, and, and that they still did it, and they yeah. did it against everybody, 
Uh, and it, so at least is again a compelling story of people yeah. who deserve to be remembered. I, I mean, it was a, it was an audacious and ambitious plan. <laughs> I they they decided to go through with it, and they were really in a place. Uh, I mean, they were right in the middle of everything. Yeah. And while it was a it was a as they said, it was supposed to be this amazing location that was supposed to be useful to... I mean, they even talked about trying to do a canal through there in, you know, the 18th century, yeah. which was pretty well before that we, they were going to have the ability to do yeah, it. Yeah, well, I tried to walk across and realize, yeah. that, you know, it's, what, what looks thin on a map is actually quite a lot of walking through rainforest. Yeah, yeah they, a while to figure that out. But, that was a but I mean, they even, it even turns out that the bay was not as nearly as yeah. good an anchorage as they thought. And, and I mean, so, in, you know, in many ways... Uh, you don't want to talk about the cold or whatever. I mean, those tropical climates and tropical yeah. diseases, and uh, you know, it's it's possible that Popham, even if it had the not been, you know, had the uh, the opposition that it did from other European nations, you know, might have just turned out. I mean, that's still a very sparsely populated yeah. part of the world. Yeah, one of the one of the most sparsely populated in the Americas, where it's yeah. it's the only place where there's you know a hold in the uh, the tra- the Pan American Highway, yeah. is it's just so remote and so heavily rainforest and mountainous and all these various things that they, they still difficult to travel to. I mean, maybe it was a dumb idea from the start. Yeah. It was never going to work. But they tried. You know? I, it was certainly brave. I, it's hard. You know, the guy who was who was trying to sell it, so many, he tried to sell it to so many people, uh, Patterson did, and they all turned him down. And it makes you wonder, did they know something that mm-hmm. that maybe Scotland didn't? Uh, were they? But on the other hand, they all had their own stuff going on. So, you know, maybe they just felt like they, they didn't have the time for it. Uh, but Scotland's, I mean, they shot their shot there. They were really, yeah. really making the effort that they needed to. And well, and they put this, I mean, they really put their national pride behind yeah. it, which is, you didn't actually see that necessarily in the, in the other colonies. But Yeah, people made, I mean, you know, you had people support it and backers, but I, I can't think of anywhere where it was truly, you know, where so many individual Scots put their money into this. And they, they were talking about 20% of the capital of, of the whole country went into this and it wasn't just rich people it was all these people who were putting their money into it with the idea of we believe in scotland and we have this pride in our you know in our kingdom and in our our people and it is too bad that it failed so dramatically well i mean it's hard to rethink history yeah what's good or what's bad it was what happened is that it failed that's fair uh, and you know, again, you know, might have always failed. It might have been no matter what you did. It's just not a good place to live, uh, or it might have been you know a whole different world if they had failed. But uh, I, there's at least something important in saying they tried. Yeah, uh, and that they took on such obstacles and that they tried. And, was, I mean, even in failures, there's there's successes to find, and, and there's certainly things to remember. And there were certainly, I mean, these people who went there, these with large groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, as the. Folks who went, you know, the first people who went to Jamestown and uh, Plymouth and even Popham were fairly, fairly small numbers of people. But they were they were talking, you know, several thousand mm-hmm. were showing up to, to Darien there. And that's I mean, that's quite incredible. The number of people who were willing to, you know, to stake out a claim. And, mm-hmm. and I, they had they couldn't have any idea what they were walking into. Clearly, they didn't because they, they learned so much about it once they were there is that they you were truly just like we're. We're going to believe in this and face whatever problem we're going to face. And that's I, that's amazing, especially when they all knew that, you know, the other European powers weren't going to help them. They may have hoped that France was uh, yeah, more no. friendly. Well, and they thought that the, that the King of England would be more friendly because it was it was their king, too. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, so, I mean, I think that they a lot of times when they were investing, they thought they would get more support than that. But yeah. they kept going even when they knew they didn't. Yeah. And they yeah. You know, ended up having to you know fight over it. I also thought, as as you know, so many of our stories that it was cool how pirates came into this one that they couldn't. So many people were unwilling to help them that they they turned to pirates, and mm-hmm. pirates were one of the few people uh, outside of the system, honestly, who had some kind of expertise in the in that region because you you know you had pirates still sailing uh-huh. around. The they they kind of had the same idea that no one else is here, so this is where we're going to yeah. be. And the, and so they were able, they were the only people honestly who who knew anything about what was going on there, and it's it's cool that that's how they were brought in, and also I mean resourceful. Gosh, the the Scots really were having everything thrown at them to you you can't have people who you know anyone who's been there, no one's going to help you, and they still were like, well, let's find someone who will. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's more it's more proof of, of the you know the truth, the fact that everybody knows that all good stories in, involve pirates. Yeah. Yeah. And. It is amazing that this, after everything, that this may have played a significant role in, you know, the world we have today, which is that this failure was dramatic enough that Scotland decided that, but it was part of what made Scotland decide, well, 
that you know let's agree to these acts of union and mm-hmm. to, to fully fully integrate themselves you know into into the the united kingdom uh but it's it's it really is an interesting thing to to look at how you know that this was part of that and it's mm-hmm. not something people you know when they talk even when you're talking about those yeah yeah when acts. you talk about english history and when you talk about why we you know they finally under the stuarts decided that they were going to uh uh, uh, combine that you know the, yeah. instead of being a personal union that you would actually become the the uh, uh, Great Britain the Kingdom of Great Britain yeah uh, you don't really think about you know that the, the Scottish colony failed yeah uh, but it was a part of the story it was a part of the story and it, of course that's you know that's about these complexities of there's always so much to the story and even mm-hmm. what you're you know what you're able to to learn in in history class and stuff like that it's always it's almost always yeah, only yeah. part of the all story. the events are connected they always yeah. are yeah and I, I like that we're able to to look at some stuff. It's one of the, it's one of the things I enjoy about this is making these little connections that are unexpected and less well known. I mean, that's that's what we like to do. Well, that's, that's what the history guy is all about. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the History Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Forgotten History, and if you did, you can find more on our website, thehistoryguy.com. We release podcasts every two weeks, so stick around if you want to hear more podcasts of Forgotten History. You can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. You can even get a personalized message from the History Guy himself on Cameo.